There's a famous parable uh, about seven blind men uh, encountering an elephant. Uh, and each of these blind men runs into a different part of this huge animal. And as they're sort of groping their way around, they all come into different conclusions about what it is that's right in front of them. Uh, you've probably heard it before. Uh, the, the guy right by the leg, he feels this thick, solid leg, and he thinks, oh, well, I've, just, I've run into a pillar. It's just a pillar. Uh, the guy by the ear feels this big, flexible, flappy thing, and he thinks, well, it's a fan. Someone's just left a fan laying here. Uh, the guy by the trunk feels this uh, strong, powerful, sinuous trunk and says, well, this is, a, this is a snake. This is just a big snake we've run into. Uh, and of course, each one of them has their own interpretation, and immediately, being human beings, they, they set to arguing with one another, everyone insisting that they're right, that everyone else is wrong, until the seventh wise man takes this all in and says, well, hold on, hold on. Actually, you're all right, but you're all only partially right. Uh, you're missing the whole picture. You've got to put it all together. Uh, what, you're really, what we've really done is we've all run into an elephant. We all have seen and correctly perceived a small part, but no one has perceived the whole. Well, I share that this morning because we're continuing our series, Questions in Exile, by asking this morning the question, is Christianity too narrow? Is it too exclusive? Or, asked the other way around, as many people do these days, aren't all faiths basically the same? Uh, don't they all lead to the same place and the same result? Uh, I began with that parable because I think that there are many people in our country and culture today uh, who look at all the religions of the world through that kind of a lens. Uh, they suspect that each one of us is like one of those blind men, correctly perceiving just a small part of the whole picture. Uh, they suspect that we all have some kind of genuine insight, but that we're all of us missing the whole picture. That we each are dismissing the other when in fact we're all describing the same reality. And it's worth asking this morning if they have a point. Is Christianity too narrow in its claims to the truth? Now, the short answer to that question is no. But the risk of asking questions like that in our Sunday morning context is that we can be too dismissive of them. Oh, we know the answer, or at least, you know, we know our answer, and we're, we're pretty invested in our answer. That's why you all are here this morning. But we're going to use our time this morning to take these questions seriously for two reasons. First, people around you, people you care about and you want to introduce to Jesus, are asking this question seriously, and they deserve a thoughtful answer. And beyond that, you know, as I've thought about it this week, I think that this is actually one of the most influential beliefs of our current culture and age. And if you think about it, I think you'll find that our popular culture, the people that you see on TV and even the people interviewing them, are are many of them people who see Christianity and all organized religion through this lens, as blind guides who have maybe gotten a hold of one corner of the truth. And they are always implying that, you know, whatever it is, the truth, the, the real, the divine is much bigger than all of them. It, it encompasses them all and then some. And I don't know how many people actually believe this and invest their life in it, but I'm pretty confident that it has a great influence 
on our culture and age. And it needs a response. Second, you know, reminding ourselves of the central, unique truth claims of Christianity is just good for us. Uh, This is why the church, the worldwide church, has always made it a practice to recite confessions of faith together, just as we did this morning. Not because we forget the central tenets of the faith, but because fixing our eyes on the truth is the best way to protect ourselves from deception, including self-deception. And, I would add, it's good for us to do this because part of our calling as the people of God is to, be, to stand as witnesses to the truth in a world that desperately needs to hear it. So with that in mind, how can we respond to those questions this morning in a way that points to the reality of Jesus as revealed in Scripture? Well, here's what I would say. If I were asked, personally, is Christianity too narrow, I think I would begin by simply affirming, agreeing, that Christianity is narrow. If by narrow we mean that Christianity makes exclusive claims to the truth. Uh, The fact is, there's just no way to take Christianity seriously, let alone Jesus seriously, without recognizing that simple point. Scripture purports to reveal the truth about God, about the human condition, about salvation, and a great many other things. Now, I'll admit, a good faith reading of the Bible could come to the conclusion, someone who's a good faith reader could come to the conclusion that the Bible's just wrong about some of these things. But I would submit to you that no good faith reading of the Bible can possibly come to the conclusion that it doesn't make claims to the truth. It does. Another way to maybe think about this is to say that Christianity is narrow But it's narrow in the way that all truth is narrow. And the way that all truth leaves no room for lies or errors. Look, if the truth is that 2 plus 2 equals 4, then it cannot equal 3 or 5 or anything else except 4. And if 2 plus 2 equals 4, if it corresponds to reality, then that's true, not just for me, not just for you, It's true for everyone, whatever their context, whatever their opinions, whatever their upbringing. In the same way, if the gospel is true, it's true for everyone, everywhere. If what Christianity claims about God and humanity and salvation are true, if they correspond to reality, then any and all claims that run contrary to them are not So is Christianity narrow? Yes, it is narrow. It's narrow in the way that all truth is narrow. No one, I would argue, makes this point more clearly or more consistently than Jesus himself. You can turn with me or you can just listen as I read Jesus' words from Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. In Matthew 7, starting in verse 13, Jesus says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Or consider Jesus' words in John 14, 6. 
John 14, 6, Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A preacher with more self-control might just stop the sermon there, but you're not going to (laughs) know. Look, if we take Scripture seriously, if we take Jesus seriously, there are really only two possible readings of those passages. Either Jesus is wrong, and there's many ways to the Father. There's many roads and gates that lead to redemption and eternal life. Or, he's right. And what he says is the truth. And there is one way, one road, one gate, and one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And if he's right, then that is true for everyone, everywhere. Now, I know when you look at me, one of the things you think this morning is that I must be way too young to have watched MASH. And you're right, I never saw it when it was broadcast on television. But a year ago, (laughs) yeah, you can agree with that, uh, thank you. Um, A year ago, I was listening to a podcast, and uh, one of the people on the podcast referenced a scene that just was so awesome, I had to go and look it up on YouTube. Uh, I looked it up on YouTube. It's, it's a scene, it's an episode uh, where a bomb has dropped right into the middle of their camp, but it didn't explode. And so what they're left to do, they, they, they want to disarm it in case later, randomly, it just goes off and kills or harms a bunch of people. Uh, I don't know how it happened because I didn't watch the episode. I just saw the clip. And in the clip, it just starts out with Hawkeye and Trapper having drawn the short straw. They have to defuse the bomb. Uh, and... So there they are, if you look at the picture, they've, they've got it apart. You can't quite see there, but there's still two wires connecting uh, the payload to the trigger. And, and then over off to the side, um, their, their uh, officer, Colonel Blake, is, with, is over there with radar at a safe distance behind some sandbags. Uh, they've got the manual, the official army manual for defusing bombs, and they've got a bullhorn, and they're yelling over instructions. And so at this point in time, it's a very tense moment. Colonel Blake uh, yells through the bullhorn to Hawkeye and Trapper. He says, okay, okay, next you need to cut the two wires connecting the trigger to the payload. And just like now, there's silence. (laughs) The the camera just zooms in tight on Hawkeye and Trapper. They're kind of shaking, they're sweating, and and they've just very carefully snipped that first wire Nothing happens. They let out a a breath, move to the second one. Shaking, they snip that second wire. Nothing happens. It's great relief. They wipe the sweat away. They look back over at the colonel to see what the next thing is they need to do. The colonel, seeing that they've successfully completed the previous step, that everyone's still alive, he looks back down at the manual. Uh, He grabs the bullhorn and he says, But first, remove the fuse. (laughs) After a moment when this uh, instruction sinks into Hawkeye and Trapper, they just look at each other and go, let's get out of here. They run and jump for cover. The bomb goes off, but it's not actually a bomb. It's just there to distribute some propaganda, so everyone's fine anyway. Christianity is narrow. 
But it's narrow in the way that all truth is narrow. It's narrow in the sense that instructions for defusing a bomb are narrow. That is, Christianity is narrow because it's true. Look, we believe that allegiance to Jesus is the only way to find forgiveness for sin, to find reconciliation with God and eternal life. But we insist on that, not because we don't have compassion for others, but precisely because we do. Listen, telling someone, telling Hawkeye and Trapper, you know what, we don't want to confine you with these narrow instructions, just diffuse the bomb any way you want, that's not generous or compassionate. It's actually cruel and probably fatal. And if anything, pretending that it matters not which road people walk, which gate they enter through, and which name they need to be saved by doesn't matter is worse. Salvation is in Christ alone. And for the follower of Jesus to proclaim anything else is to offer false hope in a cruel deception. Salvation is in Christ alone. That is, the, that is the message of the gospel. It is the central claim of Christianity. And it is narrow. It is narrow. So asked if Christianity is too narrow, my first, first half of my answer would be to agree that it is narrow. But it's narrow because it's true. And now, I want to stress that when I say the first half of my answer, I do mean half. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but this is one of those sermons. You cannot leave here this morning remembering only one of my points. I only have two points this morning, not three, just two, but the catch is you have to remember both, okay? Promise me you're going to remember both. There are two halves of one answer. Uh, without one or the other, the answer is incomplete, all right? So if I was asked, the second half of my answer would be that while Christianity is narrow, it is open to everyone. In fact, more than that, it is for everyone. These two points together, I think, compose one of the central tensions of our faith. And if you look back through history, people are constantly tempted to flatten them in one direction or the other. But to leave off either half, to, profess, to proclaim one without the other, uh, is to misrepresent the life and teaching of Jesus almost beyond recognition. Look, as we saw already, no one articulated the narrow truth of Christianity more clearly and consistently than Jesus. And yet, and yet, uh, the scandal of his message and ministry in his own day was not that he claimed that the, the way was narrow. The scandal in his own day was his insistence that all were welcome to walk through it on equal terms. Look with me at Luke 5, 29 to 32. In Luke 5, uh, Jesus attends a banquet at the house of Levi. Levi has invited a bunch of his friends, fellow tax collectors, uh, and Levi held this banquet for Jesus at his house, and a great crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Hearing this, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, not to come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
What you should see here is that the Pharisees and teachers of the law were not bothered. They were not bothered by Jesus' insistence that the gate was narrow and the road was hard. After all, from their point of view, they were the ones walking the hard road of obedience. And frankly, if you ask them, you know, when they looked around, when they observed the other people around them, I mean, they agreed. Not many of these people that they saw were going to be able to do what they were doing. Not many of them could walk their path. They knew it was difficult. And that's why they were confused to find Jesus, in their opinion, wasting his time on known sinners. Why bother? Doesn't Jesus know the gate is narrow and the road is hard? They got one half of the message, but they missed the other half. The gate is narrow, but God in his grace has made it open and available to everyone. No one who comes to Jesus for salvation will be turned away. In fact, it's better than that. As Jesus says here, he doesn't just welcome sinners, he pursues them. He seeks them out, he calls them. But note too, even here, even in this moment, he calls them to repentance. You have to have both parts. The gate is narrow, but it is as open and available to tax collectors and thieves as it is to priests and Pharisees. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only grounds for salvation and the forgiveness of sin, and we dare not profess anything different. But neither should we dare to place any obstacle between Jesus Christ and the lost he came to save. The gate is narrow but it's open to all. If you can hold these two ideas together this morning, I think you'll discover why the message and ministry of Jesus remains both compelling and challenging in every culture, even 2,000 years later. That dual message stands forever and in all cultures as a challenge to our prejudices and all of our hierarchies, social, political, or economic Listen, just just read a gospel, okay? The wealthy were scandalized by Jesus' ministry to the poor, and the poor by Jesus' ministry to the wealthy. The religious leaders were scandalized by his ministry to sinners. The zealots were scandalized by his ministry to tax collectors, and the Jews by his ministry to Samaritans. But Jesus not only welcomed them all, he sought them out. But he sought them out so that they might know the truth, so that they might find and walk the narrow path and enter through the narrow gate that leads to life. Part of the reason why uh, we have put this series together this morning about life in exile, part of the reason why Paul, Joel, and I have been uh, struggling to address some of these tense and difficult questions in 25 to 30 minutes. I mean, last week we... We literally gave Paul half an hour to address the problem of suffering, and he did it, all right? But, but part of the reason we've been struggling to do this and doing our best is because we know that exile is hard. It's complicated. It's full of all sorts of pressures and cross-pressures. And right now, in our country and context, in our little corner of exile, we are facing a lot of pressures from a lot of different directions, 
As I say, I, I know I live here too. And what God is calling his people to do, what he is calling our church to do, is to walk a narrow road between two heresies. Now, I want you to know I, I don't use that word lightly. I try not to use it lightly. But I think this morning the stakes in the situation warrant it. So let me explain what I mean. I know, I understand, that right now followers of Jesus are under a lot of pressure. If not to abandon, then certainly to soften, to water down or to broaden our narrow claims to the truth. Now let me say, just as a caveat, that in some areas, our critics maybe have a point, and we should be humble. It seems highly unlikely to me that any one person or any one denomination has everything exactly right. But that being said, let me be clear. I mean, the EFCA would draw a difference between essentials and non-essentials. And in the essentials, uh, when it comes to God and the human condition, to salvation, when it comes to anything that is taught clearly and consistently in Scripture, we dare not pretend that what we believe is not narrow or that it's not the truth. And let me say, I know, I appreciate, I feel it. The pressure in some areas right now to compromise is significant. It's significant. And I understand, too, that some days you feel that pressure and you think, well, the, the compromise, it seems so small. And the benefit seems so great. So let me make a suggestion. When you're feeling that pressure, when you're in that moment, when you're weighing the pros and cons and you're considering what's the harm in this little compromise, let me offer a suggestion, something that I, I do and that I would encourage you to do. It's what we did together this morning. Those are exactly the moments when we as believers, when we as the church should lean on the historical confessions of the faith. Because in those moments, usually we're feeling lonely or isolated, uh, like we're in this tiny persecuted minority. That's the time to stand shoulder to shoulder with other believers and to remind ourselves, when we, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, we are standing with the great body of believers from all countries, from all times, past, present, and future. We are, we are professing a faith that is unchanged for thousands of years. And let me tell you, you think we're under pressure? There are other people today that are under real pressure, pressure that constantly turns to violence. Early, the early church was under tremendous pressure, and they turned to this confession of faith when they felt the pressure to compromise, when, when Romans were telling them, you know, open your vision. Just, just say that Jesus is one among many gods and you can live. And they said no. And they would return to the Apostles' Creed, to those historic confessions of faith. That's one of our great resources, one of the rich parts of our history and tradition that we can draw on. We can stand with believers around the world today and we can confess together that narrow truth of the gospel that has paradoxically brought salvation to every corner of the world. Now, if the first pressure is to compromise, there is a second pressure that runs in the other direction. 
The more we're pressed to abandon our narrow claims to the truth, the more tempting it becomes to hunker down, to bar the doors, and to leave our critics and persecutors to their fate. And frankly, the more persecuted we feel, the more we feel they deserve it. The more others sneer at our supposedly naive and outdated beliefs, the more tempting it is to sneer back at their lostness and depravity. But this is not just a betrayal of the gospel. It is a gross distortion of our Savior, who even as he hung in agony on the cross, used a few of his limited and precious breaths to ask forgiveness for the people who executed him. I understand that what I'm asking this morning, the road I'm asking us to walk is hard. But the simple fact is that we are called to be like Jesus, both in his unflinching commitment to the truth and in his relentless compassion for those who need to hear it. If we leave off either half, we become believers in a different gospel and followers of a different Lord. Christianity is narrow, but a gospel that is not for everyone is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to end this morning with a little encouragement, but also a reminder, because, you know, when, like I say, when we're in exile, it becomes easy to convince ourselves that we're in this unique position, that no one's been under pressure like we're under pressure right now. And the fact is, that's just not true. When I say the church has been subject to these pressures and cross-pressures from the very beginning, I, I mean from the very beginning. And it occurred to me that maybe the best example of a person who held these two ideas together tightly throughout the whole of their ministry, the best example might be the Apostle Paul. And I'd encourage you to think about this. Maybe look at some of his letters this week and consider this. Paul, I think you could characterize his ministry as being composed of two fights that Paul carried out throughout his entire life in ministry. He fought one battle on one side against some believers who did not want to include Gentiles or at least did not want to include them on equal footing with the Jews. And Paul fought consistently against that, even when it meant standing up to Peter. And he insisted over and over and over that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people everywhere and that everyone entered the kingdom of God through the same gate on the same ground. And Paul would not be moved from that. Over and over and over, in every letter you see evidence of Paul insisting on this one crucial truth. But in every letter, you'll see Paul insisting on a second. The second battle that he fought over and over and over again in every area that he traveled, Rome, Ephesus, Galatia, Corinth, in every area he would go and he would insist to these, to these Greeks, to these Romans, I mean, keep that in mind as well. Paul is arguing with Jews that they're oppressors, the Romans who have conquered them and impressed them and in some cases enslaved them. He's arguing they get to enter the kingdom of God on the same footing. But then at the same time, Paul turns to those Roman believers and those Greek believers and he says, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you accept him and him alone. And you have to put 
each and every other God away. All the gods of your family, all the gods of your city, all the gods of your empire must be put away. It's Christ and Christ alone. Those two things every time. Consider how radical it is that Paul, right away, I mean the first generation after Jesus, can write a letter to Greeks and Romans in Corinth, people who grew up, who spent their whole life in the worship of a pantheon of other gods. And Paul would write to them, fighting for them, fighting for their right to enter the kingdom on the same ground. Let me read his words rather than summarize them in some worse way. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preach to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, Paul, a Jew, wrote that to Gentile believers, insisting that that gospel, this narrow truth, was for them. Insisting that by this gospel and this gospel alone, we and all people are saved. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning And we thank you for the reminder we have from you yourself, from the words of Jesus, that what we believe is in fact a narrow truth, Uh, that that the thing we have staked our lives on, that we have given our allegiance to, is a person, who he is and what he's done. God, I pray that you would give us courage when we are tempted to compromise But Lord, I pray also that you would give us compassion when we are feeling defensive or hurt or angry. Father, I pray that you would help us as your people, as your church, as followers of Jesus Christ to be insistent both on the narrow truth of who you are and what you've done and on the fact that that truth is for all people and brings salvation to all who receive it. In your name we pray. Amen.